Hey, it's Lauren. Thank you so much for listening to The Afterlight. Enjoy the episode. This episode has been brought to you by The Afterlight Institute. The Afterlight Institute is a community of teachers and students seeking to expand their spiritual gifts and their inner wisdom on the road to illuminating their forgotten selves. Offering online courses, in-person retreats, live events, online expositions, and more, the Afterlight Institute is a safe and inclusive space for all. To learn more, head to theafterlightinstitute.com. Lauren Grayson, welcome to the Afterlight Podcast. I'm joined today by counselor and clairvoyant Paul Fenton Smith. He is the author of 12 books on personal development. Paul has studied tarot reading, astrology, psychic development, clinical hypnotherapy, and counseling, combining these into his private practice. Paul received a diploma of clinical hypnotherapy in 86, studied counseling in 92, and received a graduate diploma in counseling in 2000. In 2016, he also studied meditation and intuitive development in the UK in 1991. Aside from teaching commitments at the Academy, Paul runs a busy private practice in Sydney as a clairvoyant, a counselor, a hypnotherapist, and conducts courses internationally. Through practicing and teaching intuitive studies for more than 40 years, Paul encourages his clients and students to believe only what they see or experience for themselves, which I absolutely love that. Paul is joining me today, and uh, I've got to say, Paul, with 12 books, you and I had to do a little bit of discussing to narrow down the focus for today, but what we've narrowed it down to is we're going to talk about developing your psychic abilities and the importance of listening to your intuition. Paul, welcome to the show. It is such an honor to have you here. Thank you for making the time. Thanks, Lauren. It's great to be here. So listen, somebody as yourself who uh, I would say you're an expert in very many fields. I know that you have so many stories and so much advice to share. Um, Our listener at home knows that I tend to try to keep us on subject unless I go off on some crazy tangent, which could happen. Uh, But today we're going to be talking a lot about (laughs) developing your intuition and your psychic psychic abilities. And one of the things that I always like to ask my guests is really how their spiritual journey began. And so you're no different, Paul. I would love to know how you first got started into this magical world. Okay. It was 1978. A good friend of mine enrolled me in a course in palmistry. She said, we're doing palmistry lessons 12 weeks starting Tuesday night. I said, okay. And I got dragged along. And um, uh, for the first few weeks, I thought, well, I'm just here watching someone talk about palmistry in inverted fingers. And um, then when she got to thumbs, she started talking, she started describing me essentially. And then I thought, wait a minute, there's something in this. So then over the next couple of months, I went out and bought every book I could find. And then I started reading hands and off I went. And uh, I moved to Sydney in 1980. I got a job. It was the most bizarre thing. On the job board uh, at the local employment office said, Palmas wanted, experience necessary. And I thought, I've got to be the only person going for this job, you know. And I got the position and I was working next to a tarot reader. And we did 10-hour shifts six days a week. And some days you'd have you'd see one person all day, you know. And um, through sheer boredom, he taught me the tarot and I taught him palmistry. And off I went from there. You know, I just thought, look, more skills. You need more skills, you know. Because from a practical point of view, you have your hands read once, maybe twice in your whole life. 
Whereas people have 30 or 40 uh, tarot readings because they're short term. Palmistry is a whole life reading, whereas tarot is good for, uh, is it wise to buy this house? Will I be offered that promotion? Is, it, is it, this a reliable car if I buy it? You know, those everyday questions. You know? mm -hmm. And so uh, then I moved to London and studied there for a while. And um, it, just, it just kept snowballing. When you're working full time in this industry, you have gaps and times when you've got uh, uh, room to study other things. And that's where the book started. You know, I started with notes for students. Uh, that always ask, can I have a few pages of notes? Oh, you, you talk too quickly, can I have some more notes? And before you know it, the notes are 200 pages, you know, and then someone else is editing them down and saying, look what I've done to them, you know? <laughs> and one of my students actually typed them up, word processed them in 1990. And I looked at this and thought, my God, it's a book. And she said, yeah, haven't you seen that before? And all I was thinking of was notes, you know? And, um, and then it went from there. Oh, that's so wonderful. I love to know, you know, sort of the origin stories from a lot of people, because I do find that, you know, there's sort of this undercurrent or kind of misconception that if you aren't somebody who, you know, sees spirits as a, at a young age, or you're not, you know, ridiculously intuitive from a young age that, you know, you're just not predisposed to this kind of journey, but it sort of sounds to me that maybe this was something that over time you acquired the skills um, which kind of makes it seem as though this is something that many people can do. Thoughts on that? It is. It is. It is something that many people can do. Now, what I point out, and it's it's a, a tricky thing. And on radio, I'm often asked, um, uh, "Can you tell me what makes a natural clairvoyant?" You know, those people have just got that ability from from childhood, as you describe. And mm -hmm. it's a, it's a surprising answer. People are never ready for it, and it's trauma. When people go through great trauma, um, sometimes in survival instincts kick in, and sometimes that's that's a type of intuition that develops from that. And uh, as a counsellor, I can remember a, a client of mine years ago, and her father was uh, an alcoholic, and when he drank, he was really angry. And um, and so she learned to listen as his, uh, for his footsteps at about 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night when he would arrive home. And uh, the way he uh, struggled to get the key into the lock, she'd know if she's going to take a beating tonight or if she's if he's going to leave her alone and fall asleep somewhere, you know. And so she would hide. She would hide in the laundry. He'd come and find her. You know, she'd hide all over the house. And so this was intuition training about survival. It's the worst way to be trained, you know. And, uh, and so... Uh, she just learned if my survival, my sleep tonight, my survival depends on this, I've got to be good at this. It's a horrible way to learn, you know? And so I always say that if you can go and do a course or read some books, that's a much safer way to learn this. There's no gun in your head, you know? And, um, and also then you can actually get more of the find, uh, finer details rather than just black and white information, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. In our conversation today, I am going to be talking to you a little bit about, you know, what place free will has in um, developing your psychic abilities and your intuition. I do want to talk to you a little bit about overcoming fear. I want to talk to you about the importance of cleansing, protecting uh, your energy, as well as grounding, whether or not we have a set future. There's so many subjects for us to cover on this. And I do want to say that um, I am halfway through your book at the moment, your intuition book, which was uh, released in 2011. And I've got to say, Paul, that book is so beautiful. It's not a book that I feel like I need to read really fast because there's so much wisdom that's locked into every page. And one of the things that I love about this book is your use of story, um, putting the experiences into real tangible situations that we can understand, much like the story that you've just described there. So I guess my question to you is you've got an entire book here on intuition and the keys to unlocking your inner wisdom. And I guess 
you know, in the, in the example that you've get, just given in the example of somebody experiencing trauma, that was clearly a, a need to survive in order to unlock those abilities. Why do you think that people who maybe aren't in that sort of situation, maybe just going through their average life um, with not a lot of drama, no real highs, no real lows, would need to or would would be encouraged, I say, to develop their intuition and therefore unlocking, you know, these psychic abilities that that they may possess. Okay, um, I would say a couple of things. Uh, good intuition helps you make better decisions. And I think everybody can look back through the last 10, 20 years and, and think of a decision or two that rather have made differently, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes uh, a poor decision can take you a long way away from your path in life. You know, you marry the wrong person, uh, you uh, take a job that, that leads to, uh, down a dead end. There are lots of, lots of things that can distract us from, from purpose. But at the time, they seem right, you know. And sometimes making a, a decision without a clear vision of the bigger picture can be very difficult, you know. Um, yeah, and so uh, using intuition in those situations can be a really powerful thing, you know. Um, and also sometimes it's all about, uh, uh, in, in some cases when I read for people, it's about giving them confidence to make other decisions. Uh, my niece, um, my sister has a couple of daughters, and uh, when one of them was about 20, she had a partner. They'd been together about three years, and they was, um, had moved in together, and they were saving up to buy a house and pretty young for people to be doing that, but these people were quite sensible for their age. And, um, and she wanted to travel to Europe and she uh, came for a reading and she wanted to know, it was a palm reading actually, she wanted to know if I travel to Europe and I come back, will I still be able to keep a good job and buy a house uh, and, and have a family? All, all the things that make up a life, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I said to her, yes, I see you traveling in your mid twenties twice. Uh, then at about 31, I see the first child, and this is the second child, about 33 years of age, and and you'll be fine. So she, they they that gave her the courage then to uh, take some money from the house deposit and go on a trip to uh, um, to they ended up in Spain for some reason, and they spent about six 12 months away. And when they got back, the weirdest thing had happened. Before they were they left, they were trying to buy a place, and everything was twenty thousand more than they could afford. And the market dipped while they were away. And when they came back, instead of a two bedroom um, townhouse, they could afford a three bedroom for the same price. And there were plenty on the market they could they could pick and choose. And um, and now she's about 36, 37. She has the two children. Um, and it just gave her the confidence to I can take this trip, and life won't. Uh, it's not a mistake. Life won't. Uh, uh, um, go to hell in a handcart, so to speak, you know, mm-hmm. and um, it was good. It just gave her the confidence to, to take the step and move forward. Paul, do you think that developing your intuition and your psychic abilities is the same thing? Uh, yeah, virtually pretty much. Um, I would, dis- I would uh, distinguish there are two types of intuition as animal and spiritual intuition. So animal intuition is the intuition that animals obviously have for survival. So uh, it's to protect against predators and that sort of thing. You know? um, and that's good if you're getting hunches or gut feelings. This feels right, it feels wrong. I feel I can tra- trust you. I feel I can't. But it's not much more information than yes or no. And then spiritual intuition is inf- intuition that gives you a lot of information about details, people, situations. And that's where uh, sometimes readers can describe what somebody looks like, um, mannerisms and um, uh, specific details. And even then it gets hard. I was reading for a woman a while back, oh, I was many years ago now, probably 30 years ago. And uh, she said, I want to know about this, this relationship I'm in. And I described the man and said, he's probably an Aries. She said, actually, I've got two partners and they're both Aries. Okay. <laughs> and he has his own business. 
and he has two children. She said, yeah, they both have two children, both have their own business. I thought, God, I'm going to get down to scars. In the end, I said, yes. Actually, he has a scar on the right shin uh, about three or four inches above the ankle. It's about five, six inches long. Um, it was from childhood, an accident. It was an injury. He was moving very quickly. Was he skiing? Was he running? I don't know what. But And she said, oh, I have to go and check. You know, and uh, and I'm just thinking, like, it's just difficult where you think you're getting more accurate, and then you hear the whole story. All right, how many men have you got back there? I'm asking you. You know, and uh, sort of thing. So sometimes you've got to be absolutely specific. And in in rare cases, because people are in the mood of the moment and they're expected to hear one thing, you describe something else and they don't hear you. My favorite example of that is a woman I was reading for. It was a Friday night, last client of the night, so a seven o'clock client in the evening, and she sits down and I. Um, she asked about relationship and I said who's this guy I've got this guy with blonde hair little baby face upturned nose um, he's got a, almost a crew cut I said this guy works out of the gym he's at the gym all the time he lives in the gym you know this would go, this guy would be the role model for the gym he's just there's not an ounce of fat on this guy you know she said no can't place him I thought this is a pretty clear description you know I've got the blue eyes got everything you know I said he almost looks Russian that, that sort of um, northern European sort of look you know no can't place him quarter to eight I hear the door uh, opening and I thought, oh, I'm not expecting anybody. So I go to the door and she said, oh, oh, it's my partner. He's come to pick me up. So I went to ask him to sit in the waiting room. I took one look at him and said, no, no, you're not coming in the waiting room. You're coming in with me. And I, uh, I dragged him into the room and I said, now look at the two of us. Which of us is blonde with blue hair, uh, blue eyes and um, has the upturned nose? Which of us works out of the gym five days a week? He said, six. I said, right, I stand corrected. He works out the gym six days a week. This is your partner. So he goes back and sits down in the waiting room. I said, how long have you been together? Uh, three years. And when I described him, why couldn't you recognise the description? So she was so uh, expecting to hear uh, specific information that she just, for some reason, she just couldn't recognise the man that was her partner. Now, uh, normally in situations like that, I'll say, well, I don't know why I keep getting this guy, but I'm going to describe him, but I'll leave him alone and we'll move on with the reading. It's just that in this case, he actually turned up and I was able to say, this is the evidence. This is the man I've described, you know. And so it's rare, but um, and sometimes when you're describing somebody, it's a friend they don't think about. It's uh, someone who hasn't arrived yet, but will arrive in the next few weeks. Um, and in an extreme example of that, I said, a woman uh, came to me for reading a regular client. She said, "I'm. it's a weird thing. I'm going on a blind date um, uh, tonight. And I just want to know how that's going. And I said, actually, that is going to go very well. However, he's got a secret. So... You need to take some time, but within four to six weeks, you need to know the secret because it's going to influence your relationship. And uh, so uh, she um, rings me a couple of weeks later and says, it went really well. We started a relationship. It looks like this is going to be serious, you know? And I said, remember what I said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get around to that. So she's not so interested. She's met the man of her dreams, doesn't mm -hmm. care about the secret. The secret is he's here illegally. And I said, um, and that's only part of the secret. So now she's got to find a way to get him to be have his legal uh, visa status and that sort of thing. And the other part of the secret is he's running away and he'll keep running. So they got married and then uh, three years later, he started running again. And last I heard he's in Europe and she's single again, you know, and uh, because she didn't come back and ask more about the secret, you know, um, and I couldn't tell her everything because sometimes you get information and, and I'll, I'll check intuitively. Am I allowed to tell them now? No? Okay. Then I'll just give them as much information. And sometimes it's part of their journey not to know until they're ready to know. And uh, that's where I come up with a question, what do I most need to know right now? And I ask this all the time in meditation. And, um, and I encourage uh, clients to ask it too because we don't know what we need to know.
Yeah, no, it's so true. There's so many questions, you know, to be found within that, but I guess, you know, where I'm getting intuitively pulled to, you could say, <laughs> is, uh, is talking about the idea that, you know, very often people ignore these things that they have within themselves, don't they? They ignore their intuitive, um, in, they, they ignore the feeling of going left instead of right, or they ignore that niggling feeling, or they ignore the fact that they're not in the right job, or they're not you know, that they want to do something different than they're doing. And I really love how at the beginning of your bio that I mentioned that one of the things that you encourage people to do is to find that truth within themselves. So it's interesting because in your book, you talked about, and I really loved this when I read it, you talked about being able to develop your own intuition, AKA like your psychic abilities as well, in order to make decisions for yourself. And that if you're going to a clairvoyant who continuously is answering all the questions for you, number one, you're keeping that person in a job, but at the same time, you're stopping yourself from finding your own path. So I guess, I guess, it's difficult to kind of do you, how do you marry those two worlds? Like, how do you empower somebody to find their own inner truth while also not making yourself redundant in the same way? Okay. Um, I think what I ask students to do in classes, so we do three Sunday courses, you know, and uh, what I ask them to do in the intro course is to, uh, if you're meditating, if you're asking for information about yourself in your own life, at the end of that uh, session, always ask, to, uh, ask them to tell you, tell me something that will happen to me in the next 48 hours. It needs to be specific. So that means if I'm asking about a possible uh, job situation that will come up in two years' time and it's, I, I don't want to wait two years hoping for that job because I've got a yes and then I find out I'm wrong, um, then what I'll be told is something very specific. So-and-so will ring you or you um, an example of uh, uh, one about 15 years ago. They said to me, you have five um, bookings for your next tarot course, which started about three weeks afterwards, um, by Sunday night. I had three on Sunday night. I had two on Monday. So that would be a no. That would mean that that meditation I had was incorrect because it wasn't by midnight Sunday night. And, um, and so then I have to go back into meditation. I don't wait for, the, uh, to be, for those things to be proven wrong that I got in the meditation. I run a line through those. I go back in and keep meditating. You know? Because it's such a fine line between meditation and imagination, you know, and intuition and imagination. Mm -hmm. and, um, and coming back to what you said earlier about um, uh, people not trusting themselves, <clears throat> only a couple of weeks ago, I uh, was doing a Skype reading for a, a regular client I hadn't seen in a long time, probably 15, 20 years. And uh, I said, you sound like a lunarian. It's, in palmistry terms, it's a, a particular type. And I asked her to put her writing hand up to the camera, and she did. And I said, you know, your intuition would come very well through your dreams. And she laughed and said, you won't believe this. She said, about 20, 22 years ago, I had a dream with all the lotto numbers. And um, she said, I, I woke up and thought, wow, it's very clear. And uh, she didn't do anything about it, but she just kept her eye on the numbers, on the drawers over the next few weeks. And it was a second division prize worth 10,000 with the numbers that she dreamed. And then she said six months later, she dreamed another set of lotto numbers. And she said, oh, and she, again, she didn't trust it, you know, oh. and she didn't buy a ticket on that first division prize. So she would have got millions from that. And then she said, um, more recently, I, I, now I'm older, a little bit wiser. I had a dream and she, she said the name of it. It was a cryptocurrency, but I'd never heard of it one of those ones that just, and the name's gone out of my head since then and um she said i was i was shown this name of a cryptocurrency and i was shown the figure three dollars sixty and so she said i went and did some research it was selling for 22 cents so she thought well i'll buy a couple of thousand five ten thousand of these things you know and she went out and bought them and um 
and she just washed. And for six months, it went nowhere, up or down, a little bit, 35 cents, uh, 12 cents. We just gave her. And she said she woke up one morning and it, overnight it had hit $3.60. And she just sold up, cleaned out, bang, took $100,000 off the table. Wow. And um, I said, that is intuition. That's incredible that you've done that. And she said, and I said, will you trust it next time? She said, well, I'm not sure. I thought if you were standing here, I'd be reaching over the table to slap you. What do you mean <laughs> you're not sure? You know? You've got 100,000 reasons already to be sure. You know? And I said, that, that's incredible. Now what you need to do is start to tell yourself as you fall asleep at night, usually you turn over onto one shoulder or the other. In that 10, 20 seconds, tonight I'll dream about such and such. Tomorrow I'll remember the answer. You know, and that, to make it really quick and short, bang, gone. You're off to sleep. You know, and uh, and I'm thinking that's that's something. Now she was trying to get a deposit for a house. Hundred grand helps you towards your deposit for a house, don't you think? <laughs> no. And I yes. said, if you went if you went back to the first ten thousand, how long would it take you to save ten thousand? She said, oh, I was skint. I would have, would take me years. You know, and um, and so. Um, Sometimes we pay a price. That was a, a, a financial price she paid for not trusting her intuition. But, but I've stepped into situations where I thought, this is a bit risky, but I'll do it anyway. And um, um, it was risky, absolutely risky, and I lost the risk, you know. And so sometimes we just ignore instincts because of desire, you know. I want to be loved. I want to be successful. Yeah, I guess I like sometimes, you know, I do, and I do believe that it is critical to develop your intuition and your, um, you know, in order to set yourself on the right path, because, you know, we don't want to go the wrong direction and then have to find our way back on the original path we were on like five or six years later. But I guess my question to you is how do you sometimes know what to intuitively check in about or not? Like, for example, I sometimes have things happen where I'm going with the flow and then it doesn't work out the way that I originally intended, but I don't feel that I had any intuitive messages to tell me to do something different. So does that mean I wasn't listening or does that mean that I needed to experience that, that lesson? And, you know, you talk about in your book where you, you were using your intuition to go and pick out a car and you were looking at the body works of the car and your third eye and stuff and trying to figure out, you know, which one. So, I mean, for that one, I guess maybe you would know I'll use my intuition for this, but for certain things we do like servicing your car or choosing a cleaner or something like that. I mean, yeah. Where does it sort of stop or is it part of your everyday? You don't even think about it anymore. Well, I think it's both. I think sometimes you need to be able to use your intuition to make good decisions. Sometimes when information is withheld, it's for another reason. It's something else that you, you, uh, and you're not privy to that information at that stage. I'll give you an example. I worked for six months in London in 88 at a psychic centre. And this guy that ran the centre, honestly, he was everything. He was a good role model for what not to be. So, <laughs> um, and so when I interviewed, um, his wife interviewed me and she was a really nice person. Both of them were quite intuitive. And, but I looked at him and thought, oh, you're going to give me trouble. Just knew it, you know, from day one. And he, he was. Uh, so the idea was you've got 40% of whatever the total was for the readings. And the readings varied from 15 pounds to 50 pounds. And, um, and so double that in Australian dollars. And um, so um, if, I'd, if I'd seen 15 people for the week, he'd say you saw, saw 11 people. And I'd say, no, I've got a list here. I always keep a list because I'm used to giving invoices, you know, and um, and uh, so I ended up working 60 hours a week for one third of what I would earn in Sydney, 
and it just it was it was hard it was miserable it was hard and one day i got about five months into it i got fed up with it and thought i don't want to be here this is i came for a holiday i'm stuck in this little room in the middle of nowhere um and it's it's just ordinary really ordinary and i could be home and i could be in sunshine you know because it was coming towards the end of the year and those uh, english winters they're pretty gloomy you know sun comes up at 9 30 and goes away at 3 30 you know and um and so I, I, I stepped out one um, afternoon for lunch and I thought, no, I'm going around to a travel agent. I'm buying a ticket home. And I had a credit card where it was down, paid down to zero and I put an extra 2000 to, to just over $2,000 on this card so that it was my ticket home when I needed it, you know. And um, I went into the travel agent. I said, I need a ticket back to Sydney. She said, yep, these are the flights, that sort of thing. And she came back with my card and said, um, uh, the card's been uh, listed as stolen and she said, I'm, I'm instructed to cut it up and she cut it in half in front of me. And I thought, whoa, there goes my ticket home. How the hell am I going to do this, you know? And so I left and I went back to work and my boss who was reading the paper looked up with a, a, a sly smile and said, how was lunch? And I thought, he knows what I was doing and he's blocked me. Wow. You know? And I was, I was really scared. I thought, whoa, because this is the guy who used to break into my dreams every morning and wake me up. And I know it was him because he had, he had a Northern English accent. He used to say, wake up and get to bloody work. You know? And I was, oh, suddenly you're, all, you're wide awake, you know. And, um, and so I thought, don't, don't fight with this guy. If he can do this, he can do a lot worse. So you can't fight with him. What you have to do then is I, 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 that night I went home. I was furious. I was on fire. You know? And I, I then meditated and asked, can you send someone to replace me in the next few weeks? You know, and I knew it would take me three, four, five weeks to save the money up, uh, just just to get the ticket and find the money from other places. You know, and um, and what happened was uh, a week or two later, he went off to uh, Spain with his wife for a couple of weeks, and another woman turned up. Her name was Christine, and I wrote a book, uh, The Secret Door to the Universe, about what she taught me, and she was an incredible medium. She would just sit there, and she could take the keys of your house and tell you not just every room and everything that was in every room, but the names of the people in the photographs that have fallen down behind the piano. You know, just unbelievable. And, um, and so I thought, this is the real deal. This is the woman I've come to see. You know? And I then went back and spent six months studying with her in 1991 so I could write this book. You know? Incredible stuff. And that's where I learned about psychic chords and, and, and other things. And, um, and it was only recently, early this year, that I was in touch with her. And we were talking when I was talking about this, this guy that ran the place. I said, God, he was a piece of work, wasn't, she? wasn't he? And she said to me, um, you know, he was much more switched on than you thought. And then it hit me. He knew that I had to meet her. He knew that that was the purpose for me coming there. And so he just had to stop me from going home too soon. Oh, my. It's like a, an angel so in then, disguise. Oh, wow. Exactly. It's like, it's like one of those uh, trickster healer type of people that are going to make life absolutely like, you know. And, and when I looked at it from that point of view, I thought maybe he underestimated every uh, number of readings. He was making me be assertive to assertively ask, this is what I, I've earned. Pay me what I've earned, you know. And, um, and so I got pretty good at the end of that. You know, if, if, I, if I wrote uh, features for magazines that were going to pay and uh, they weren't paying or I had a regular column that didn't used to pay, and I'd just stop sending them the column and I'd say, when the money's in my account, I'll send you the next um, instalment. And they would, this is back in the 80s and 90s, and they would um, uh, rush the money around to the bank and then send me a, a copy of the receipt and then I'd, I'd press send, you know, and, uh, and I thought, wait, but... Um, so it was just one of those situations where you think you're doing one thing and you're doing something completely different. Yeah. And you know what that makes me think of, you know, Wayne Dyer, he, he talks about how, you know, when we think we're doing, we're actually being done. 
And it's like, that actually makes me feel so emotional to even think about that. You know, I feel like being on the spiritual path that we have all these, you know, these things that are working for us. And when we can learn to get out of our own way and, and accept things as they are, go with the flow. And I'm not saying that, you know, we're not assertive and we're not doing the things that we need to do, but that's when the magic can really happen, isn't it? And I think that like for myself, and I don't know if you had to experience this, Paul, but you know, I always was really afraid of my gifts and it's only until in the last six months that I've been working on my mediumship and my clairvoyance. And up till then, I just wouldn't go there. Do you think that fear is something that blocks many people from accessing this part? And why is that? Is it, is it because intuitively we think we don't want to know certain things or we're afraid of what the future could hold? Yeah, it, it depends on really on um, uh, on circumstances, you know, because um, sometimes people have experiences as, as children, they get frightened, you know, you wake up and there's a spirit at the end of your bed and that sort of thing, you know, and um, and I can remember, it's, it's funny, you deal with it all day, you know, uh, um, I um, had a t-shirt design that said, I see dead people by appointment only, you know, and, um, <laughs> That's great. and I, I remember... I remember waking up one day, uh, uh, middle of the night, and there's a, like an eight, nine-year-old girl at the end of the bed, and suddenly I'm, I'm freaked out. You know, I'm thinking, <laughs> "This is what you do for a living." But but now I'm in my pajamas. I'm not working. Now I'm freaked out. You know, and um, and I mentioned it, and I was sharing the house at the time with a guy who was a fitness instructor at a gym. And he said, "Yeah, yeah, that girl. I've seen her all the time in my room." And I'm thinking, "Wow, he's never mentioned this. What's the guy at the gym seeing a girl at the end of his bed when he wakes up in the in the nighttime?" You know, and um, and I said, we need to talk. And off he went to the gym, you know. And um, it's just you get used to your role. And sometimes people get a bit freaked out. So if as a child you, you were seeing uh, deceased spirits in your room, it would be very scary for children, you know, if they didn't understand what it was all about, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's just, yeah, so it depends on what they associated with. Uh, I've had some students whose parents said that's that's really dangerous. Don't do that. Don't go anywhere near that. You know, it's against our religion and that sort of thing. And so... Yeah, it's just there are a lot of reasons why people can be uh, uh, shut down from doing this, you know. And the the primary one is if they're living with someone who's keeping secrets and they don't want their secrets exposed. Mm. Do you know what I love about what you said there? You know, you talked about I'm not working right now. And, you know, it's really interesting how, you know, when you are developing and tuning into your intuition, you know, when you're on your own path or do you find that you're available and open all the time for your own guidance and then you kind of turn it on and off when you're working with other people yeah i tend to turn it off most of the time because um if you're open for yourself then you'll be open for others and you're picking up information you don't need and that's why intuitive people get very tired when they're going to shopping centers or crowded spaces you know because you've got all these people with all these thoughts and worries and concerns you're picking them all up you're a sponge for all of that it's not good it doesn't help them and it's not good for you because if you get choked up well in simple terms from a professional point of view when the clairvoyant is choked up the diary stops you know people stop phoning people don't turn up because there's no room for them in the space mm. you know and um and it's not just uh cleansing after clients leave because they, because what happens is a client comes to you they're listening they're talking they're unburdening themselves and energetically they're doing the same thing. They don't mean it, but just leave all this dross or negative energy around, around the place after the leave. It's a release. I don't know if you've had readings or that sort of thing, but sometimes you walk away and you have that sense of, oh, I feel so good, you know? I've been heard and I've, I've let go of some stuff. And I literally have. 
And sometimes they do more than that. Sometimes after a client leaves, there's a part of them, a spiritual part that's not being nourished that says, I'm going to stay here with him because he seems to notice me. He seems to nourish me more than you. Before you know it, you could have a busload of people in your room, you know, and um, it's not good because they get in the way, then they're, they're needing some energy, then they're attaching themselves to you. That's not what I want, you know. Uh, the client pays for the time. They have to go home. They have to take all of them with them, you know, mm-hmm. and um and so when I was learning some of that stuff in 1991 with Christine in the, the UK, it was scary. You know, so looking at some of the things uh, that, that can happen if you're, if you're not cleansing, if you're not aware of what's going on with that, you know. So it's not just a case of uh, open up and everything's wonderful. Uh, it can be, you know, when uh, people pass away and they have no spiritual beliefs and they don't go anywhere, they're going to get stuck and trapped and some of them want to come back and hold on to somebody else, you know. And you just got to be a little bit careful about that too. So there are rules, road rules around this sort of thing as well. And I think that's, um, for instance, in our psychic development course, the first Sunday is all about cleansing and protection. People think, God, he's banging on about this. And then I tell them some scary stories. I think, no, no, no. Tell us about the other stuff, the protection again. Tell me more about that, you know, because it can get pretty hairy sometimes, you know. And, um, yeah, yeah, I can still remember working in London when Christine was actually there for that two weeks and a woman had come in and asked about her dad. Her dad had died in the 60s and I, I said, well, I see a man in a black 60s suit laying down and I sent out a bit of energy so he could talk to me because he wasn't talking to me and that was a cord and then he was attached to me and um, and then my stomach blew up. I looked like I was about five, six months pregnant. I couldn't believe it. And um, during lunch, I said to Christine, look, I can't. I can't cleanse. I've, I've cleansed and, 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 and I just, I can't get scented. And she looked at me and she said, I've got this man in a funny old suit, a black suit. What's he got to do with you? And then I realised it's the man from the previous reading. I said to her, can you cleanse it? She said, yes. I said, what if I didn't cleanse it? What would happen? She said, well, if he smoked a pipe, you'd be tempted. And if he drank Guinness, you'd be tempted too. Um, whatever his tastes were, they'd start to become your taste. If what he said. In other words, you've got two of you in there now, you know? And... Um, the client's not paying for you any extra for you to take on their burden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel like we probably should go into that direction now only because you've taken us there. And, um, you know, I know that a lot of sensitive people do listen to this podcast, people that are interested in exploring their intuitive gifts, people that are connecting with spirits. Um, I guess I was wondering whether or not you had any tips to sort of assist people in being able to cleanse and protect their energy. And I know that, you know, for myself, when I discovered a couple of years ago that I was empathic, it made so much sense. It was as though, you know, I had that light bulb moment where I went, oh, I understand so much more about myself now. Um, But that being said, you know, it's still natural for us to feel fatigued when we go to the mall or, um, to pick up on people's stuff. Yeah. So what are some things that we can do? A lot of the things that you have, uh, like symptoms of, uh, of being drained, like uh, you talk to a friend for three minutes on the phone, suddenly you're really exhausted. A lot of those symptoms can also happen naturally. You, your blood sugar levels just dropped, you run out of sugar, you know, you, uh, uh, um, or you've, um, you're tired or other things going on. But you know it when someone's with you and you've consistently feel drained when you're with that person then you know that something's going on and a lot of people do this unconsciously they're not they're not mean to drain people they're just they squander their own energy and they want some of yours you know and i give an example of this when i worked years and years ago in an office for about six months and there was a guy who sat our desk were facing each other you know and um and he would go out partying all night, you know, uh, start with the tequilas in the afternoon and then go out into the evening. And, then, and he, sometimes he'd come to work in the same suit he was wearing yesterday, you know, and shirt and that sort of thing. And, um, and he'd be exhausted and he'd have what I call the conversation. 
a five-minute conversation where you take all my energy and I'd walk away exhausted. He'd be like, he'd be whistling and he'd be thinking, oh, I'm ready to go out for lunch again, Matthew. And, um, and I thought, am I, am I being paranoid? Am I just imagining this or is, is it real? So we're on the fifth floor. So I knew he, when he got into work. So I stayed away from my desk until about uh, 11, 15, I think he found me on other floors because it was a 12 story building. And um, he said, where have you been? I said, oh, I've had all these papers to do. I've had to get these signed and this thing, you know? And, um, and I said, what did you want? He said, oh, nothing. And I thought, no, part of him knows what he wants. He just doesn't want to admit it, you know? Mm. And so he wanted that conversation because he was desperate because he'd been out all night, you know? And I thought, well, I can block this, but I'm so, I'm so close to him. He'll engage me in conversation or I can leave the job and I left the job. You know, sometimes you have to make the bigger decision. But coming back to what you said uh, before about some people um, notice that they're more sensitive, it depends on the type. Now, there are three types. There's visual types, auditory types, and kinesthetic types. And the kinesthetic types, they're the feely, touchy ones. They, they read from uh, objects. They can read by touching people. Um, it's all sensations in their body. And they get drained the fastest because they take on the, uh, the symptoms of the other person. And we had it in a, uh, in a second week of a psychic development course about five years ago and um, maybe even longer. Um, the guy said to me, look, I was giving this girl, a, uh, we were scanning and I was scanning her and I could feel this problem with her back and now I've got the problem, I won't go away, you know? And, um, mm -hmm. and so um, this was, uh, I, I said, it's time for me to take you aside and tell you how to do this. I said, when you go home tonight, you ask, you just, you just go into meditation, you ask that you give this back to her, it's not yours. And, um, and actually there was a week between this. So that happened in the first week. So the second week he crawled in looking like he was had, hadn't slept. And he hadn't slept well all week because he had a, had a bad back, her bad back. She walked in and said, you know, my back feels fabulous. And if the, the course is this good this week, I just can't believe it. You know, this is great. And so the second week I taught him that technique. He went home, he used it. Third week, uh, he came back in, he looked okay. She came back in, said, my bad back's come back again. This is not good. And I looked at him and just winked at me, you know, like uh, this worked, this is fabulous, you know. But the problem is, that's what I like to be a visual person because I like to be able to see the person's symptoms without feeling them. I don't want to take that on. You know, it's it's a burden you don't need, especially if the person's got uh, lung issues or they've uh, got high blood pressure. That's sort of, you don't want to be feeling all this stuff. You know, and um, yeah, and so I'm guessing you might be a bit more kinesthetic. Are you a person who feels things in your body? Yes, yes, but I realize too that now that I'm doing mediumship work as well, I can see stuff as well. But I definitely feel definitely feel yeah yeah okay it's it's possible to be all three it's possible to be all three and uh that's what you're aiming for but um ultimately i think that visual is really good but sometimes auditory is good too because sometimes i'll ask internally um seeing this scene and it doesn't make sense to me can you can you give me some information that helps me make sense of this you know why am i seeing this what does it mean you know and so then you can ask and get information that way um, but people tend to have a preference and there's a little quiz in the intuition book that'll just, it's like 30 questions or so. And it just gives you a way of identifying where you are on the grid, you know, and some people are right in the dead, in the center, you know, they're all, they're equally all three parts. And, and that's good if you are, but most people have favor one part or another, you know? And so for the auditory people, they are the ones that notice a dog barking in the background or a scratching sound, or that someone uses the same word repeatedly or, um, certain types of voices can be very annoying for them and that sort of thing. Um, they're, they're really aware of sound. And because they're aware of sound also, they usually eat tastes. So uh, uh, when they're reading for people, they often get information. It's like, I'm getting this taste in my mouth. It's a chemical taste. Are you taking any medications? Yeah, that sort of thing. 
you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, just the, those three uh, different ways of, of doing it. Now, coming back to your original question about cleansing and protecting yourself, very simple things I would do, uh, and they're free. Most of these things are free. If you live near the ocean, get into the salt water because uh, ocean water, it's, it's cleansing, not, not just the water but the salt. It really, you know, that feeling of, of, of being cleansed. And um, if it's, the water's quite cold, if you're out of your body, you're a bit fuzzy, you know, you're not quite aligned with your body, 10 seconds in cold water like that and you're back in your body very quickly. In fact, you see that when people dive in and they come back up for air and they've got that real look of, this is freezing, you know, and they're right in the body at that point, you know. And it's just, it's an instant thing, you know. Yeah. And so uh, cleansing with salt water, I would also have salt baths. And what you do is you just buy some natural sea salt, a cup or two in the bath. But be careful when you get into the bath because it can be very slippery when, when it's got salt in it. You know, and it can be a bubble bath as well. And it just, I always bring my chin down so your throat chakra is in under the water as well, as much as you uh, you can of yourself. It's replicating the ocean if you can't get to the ocean, but it's not as good as the ocean, obviously. You know, um, people use white light a lot. Um, it's not very effective um, unless unless you're bringing the light down to into every cell, every molecule of your body. Um, I liken it to a bank. If I'm going to rob a bank and um, I can get past the guard, so I can sneak in under the floor, or I can I can uh, come in through a window on the weekend when the guard's not there. Then I've got the money, you know. However, if they protect every banknote, which they do with the dies in the bags, you know, and that sort of thing, they protect every banknote. Then I have to be much more careful in getting in, and so you're more protected if every cell and every molecule of your body is protected. Um, with that, I would say, I'll give an example with white light. So normally I say to students in week one, before we start protecting and cleansing, I just want to see from someone in the room who's got good protection techniques. Someone volunteers, I get to sit, uh, stand up in front of the class. Then I turn to another student and I say, now, in a moment, she's going to say, yeah, she's ready. And uh, from that point, I want you to, in your mind, count in seconds. You won't get past five seconds. And I'll say, okay. When I say, okay, it means I'm in. And then I'll start describing her health and I'll describe her partner, husband, mother, children, whatever, and, I, and, and I've got past her, her protection. And so that's what happens. Usually the person forgets to count, but the, um, the, the one standing in front of the class then says, yes, I'm ready, I'm straight in. Okay, you've got tension with your shoulder. That's an old injury from a car accident. Did you have some accident between 19, 23, 24, 22? Okay, right, and, wow. and off I go. And then the students will think, wow, that took two seconds. And I say, yeah, because... It used to take me a long time to, to do it. And, and then I realised when I, when I studied with Christine in London that everybody has psychic cords to other people. If I find one of those cords, it's like a freeway straight through. I'm in, you know. And uh, I remember the tricks I used to play before I learned that was uh, a lady had her eyes closed. I took a box of matches and I rattled them, I rattled them again, and then I opened the stone and I, I rattled around with my fingers in there. And she was curious. What's that sound? What's he doing? She sent a cord out to me and I jumped on it all straight in. You know, and so you've got to be learn. You've got to eventually learn to see these cords because everybody has them, and they can be, they can take you away from your path. You know, so for instance, if you and I were in a relationship, and then the relationship ended, and you moved on with your life, you met someone new, you got married, had children, everything was great. You know, and I still haven't let you go, and uh, I'm thinking about you. I've still got the photo on my phone, and you know, I'm, I'm strengthening that cord through my desire then there'll be times there where um, you're thinking about me and thinking, I don't want to think about him. He's the past. Why? It's because I'm strengthening that cord. And an example of that is when you separate from someone, you both move on with your life, and then one of you meets somebody else. The other person then connects again, sends a text or uh, uh, just gets in touch somewhere because they can feel you going away. 
an example of that, I think it's in the book. My son, when he was small, lived in the country with his mum. And um, I cut all my cords at the end of the night, you know, at the end of the day, just so I don't, I'm not connected to um, clients and students. But usually I think about him to reconnect our cord because you need a cord to your children. And actually, it's a karmic cord. It gets reconnected anyway. And uh, he rang me the next morning at about 7.15 and said, Dad, I had a dream you went away. And I thought, oh, wow, he could feel that. He's asleep and he could feel uh, that I cut those cords and, and that, that triggered that, you know. And so in his dream, he was reconnecting. Wow, that's amazing. When you cut cords, do you just do it in your imagination? Do you ask Archangel Michael to come in and cut the cords for you? Do you use a crystal like selenite? And what I do is I bring down white light. I use a whirlwind. The whirlwind comes through and, and cuts the cords. So it comes out of my third eye and it's not my energy. It's not my light, but it's light. And it's spinning very quickly and it cuts cuts through and usually karmic cords cords that are uh, like uh parents children uh sometimes past relationship partners where you haven't finished the karma those cords are re reconnect immediately they're not able to be uh cut until you've completed the karma and that's why people recognize soulmates you know and people think this is going to be fun it's going to be romantic no if there's something unresolved from past life it's probably going to be troublesome you know there's something good to be said about meeting someone who isn't your soulmate. They don't know you're a past life politician. You know, they don't know what you're doing in your past lives. You know, you, you start fresh, you know. And, um, yeah, because when I went back to study in, uh, two, uh, in 1991 with Christine in, in uh, the UK, uh, I was studying psychic courts. I took my first wife with me and, um, and uh, she asked, she said, well, how long have we got together? And she said, just over five years. And it was, it was five years and two months. You know, wow. and, um, and I thought, whoa, now that was from beginning to end, from meeting to, to end. She said, what happens is you come to learn something and, and the karma is a child. And then the child was born a year or so later. And, um, and then when that karma is finished, you've got a choice. You can stay together or not. And we went in different directions. And then when I held my son the first time, because I was there for the birth, and I thought, wow, we've got some good karma together. I don't know who you are, but I think we're going to get on fabulously, you know, and we, and we do, you know. And, uh, and uh, I feel sorry for his mum sometimes. She moves away from me and she's got a version of me. It's a photocopy version of me, you know? <laughs> and uh, now it's an enlarged photocopy of me because he's six foot six, you know? And, um, and you know, it's just one of those things. So her karma continues. <laughs> I feel sorry oh, about wow, that. Oh, wow, that's funny. Sure. You mentioned the protection. Um, I learned about shielding uh, not very long ago, I would say a couple of years ago now. And that's something that I do when you were talking about, you know, teaching your students and the protection and being able to get through their protection. How do you make sure that you're protecting yourself in a way that people can't get through? Do you have a, a technique for that? For people who really know their business, it's very hard to protect yourself against them, you know. It's very hard, in which case you just use as much love white light as you can, bringing down the white light, you know, and not just surrounding yourself with white light, it's bring down spiritual light, you know. To do that, you've got to understand your spiritual channel, you've got to understand um, living and uh, ascended masters because they're the people who are helping you back towards that path back home, you know. And the whole idea is that when you pass away eventually, uh, you won't need to come back anymore, you'll go back to, to the source of energy. And so for everybody, this is uh, uh, that I, something I cover in the Secret Door book. Um, uh, we have someone living in the world that is a, a male or female a, a spiritual master. So this is someone who's mastered their spiritual development and they're in charge of hundreds of people uh, that, 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 
that in meditation or in life or through books or through teachings, they'll help you towards the next stage. And sometimes we don't know them. Uh, we never visit them. They're living overseas, that sort of thing. But when we sleep at night, our, our uh, uh, traveler body goes out and visits them and, and has a class with them, you know, that sort of thing. Then the ascended masters are the ones we know from history, uh, Moses, Buddha, uh, Muhammad, Jesus, all those, all those people that are, are just uh, recognized spiritual masters. And so you've got the one in this lifetime, you've got the one after this lifetime to, to take you the next step and all the rest of the way. I, I, I could give you an example of that. I had a, a client of, of many years ago. Um, she rang me and booked a session. And that night I was chased in dreams. And I thought, that's interesting. And I thought, maybe it's just uh, uh, I haven't quite cleaned. So uh, what I do if I'm being chased is I'll wake up, I'll light a candle uh, in, a, in a glass jar in my room, and then I'll go back to sleep again. You know? And uh, then I woke up again being chased. About four times I was woken up through the night being chased. I thought, no, someone's actually chasing me. Stop. Don't go anywhere. Watch them. Look for the energy. Recognize the energy when you find them again. This, I feel like a safe cracker when, I, when this happens, you know. And so there's this man. He appears and I can, I can see and smell and sense his energy. Right, I'll remember it. Then a few days later when my client turns up, I said, um, what's changed in your life? Because I could see this energy around her. And she said, well, I found this guy. He's a guru. And he says that if you join him and follow him, this will be your last life on earth ever, you know. I said, ooh, that's a big promise, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, who would make that promise? And and she's had a very hard life. She's very desperate, you know. Like this is a woman who uh, was taught the piano with a nun that had a, a steel ruler who'd wrap it across her fingers. And now as an older person, her fingers are all twisted, you know, and uh, just pain, lots of pain in life. So she wants this to be the last time. I can't blame her, but I just think his promise is out, uh, uh, was outrageous. So I thought, no, no, no. Now... I'm going to do to him what he did to me. And I said, I'm going to have a look at him. And I'll tell you what he's about. I said, he, li he lived, grew up in France and he's going back there. What he's doing here is he's raising funds to buy himself a farm and to go back there. He's not a guru. He's just a man who's found a way to get tax-free money. And she said, actually, he is French. He, he said, one day I'll be gone. I'll have moved on. And my journey with you will be finished. Yeah, because he's got enough money to buy a farm, you know? Mm. And I said, the problem is your desperation made you buy his pitch. Now you're wanting to leave. And she said she was trying to leave. And now he's trying to scare me off. And I said, this is what you need to do. You know, I just laid out some things you need to do. I said, he can't stop you from leaving. He can only make you think he can stop you, you know. And he was just using magic, you know. And that's, it's an ugly thing. People talk about good magic and bad magic. But you never hear of good, uh, people getting together to use some magic for world peace. It's always about getting a car. It's always about getting a new partner. It's always about getting a new crop. It's, it's I want something, you know? And so uh, it, that's a hard thing to learn and to, to understand that if it's yours, you can have it. If it's not yours, it'll only bring more burden. Don't, don't, you've got enough burdens. You don't need to ask for things that are going to make your weight heavier, you know? And so uh, I don't know if she left or not. I haven't seen her since then. But um, either she's still with him or he's gone to France, uh, but I would think by now he would have. And um, and it's a hard thing, or maybe she passed away. She wasn't a young woman, and um, yeah, it's it's tricky. But uh, so if someone's really trying to get in, they can get in. But I would say what you would do is you'd go and find someone who's very good with meditation to scan you and see see what's there, you know. And uh, I'd be careful about that. There are not many people that can actually do that sort of work. I don't do any uh, cleansing work. I don't do any removal of spirits from bodies or that sort of thing. It's not work I do. It's it's dangerous work, and I feel like. It's, it's not for me, you know. Um, but uh, Christine did it with me and she said, I don't want to keep doing this with you. You have to learn this stuff, you know. Um, uh, it's not a good thing to get the habit of doing that because you, 
then it's like it's like I've I've removed all this asbestos from your house. What am I going to do with it now? You know, mm-hmm. where am I going to dump this? Mm-hmm. Uh, she gave me an example. And I I nearly wet myself laughing. She said uh, uh, she was living in uh, central London, and she said she uh, had a friend uh, Mary who's uh, had a friend down living in Cornwall, south of England, and um, who was supposed to be really a spiritual woman, you know, and. Uh, uh, Mary was telling Christine that uh, she does soul rescue work. And that's a reasonable thing to do, but it's a very delicate thing to do, to get it right. And then a few weeks later on a Wednesday evening, uh, Christine said she sat down for a dinner. She's watching TV. Rooms started filling up dead people. She said it was like a bus stop, you know. And she's thinking, what are these? And they were just as confused as her. Like, why are we here? What the hell? What's going on, you know? And, um, and so she put her food down, she meditated, cleansed them away. And the, the next Wednesday, the same thing happened around the same time, about 8, 8.30. She said, this is ridiculous. By the time the third week came, she realised what it was. She rang Mary and said, tell me about your friend in Cornwall. She's, she's very good. She does soul rescue work. And she, she does, how often does she do it? Just once a week. Oh, that's good. What day? She does it on Wednesdays. Of course she does. So what she was doing was she was sending them off as far as she could to the east end of London. Now, the east end of London, it's a rough place. If you if you if you broke down, you would call uh, an Uber or a taxi. You want to get away. It's, it's now been gentrified, but back then you wouldn't walk alone in a place like this. You don't want to end up your life there. You know you're you're in the afterlife and you're stuck in the east end of London. And um and so what this woman was doing was she was meditating, pushing them out via the cord to Mary, via the cord to Christine, and then she thought they're out of sight, so they must be home. You know. And then Christine said to me, "You can't do this work unless you've gone all the way home." And you know what it looks like and you remember and you know the way. And she said, very people, few people do that. Because to go all that way, you're not going to want to come back. It feels too good. Yeah. You know? And, um, yeah, it just, it's just one of those things. And I thought, whoa, that makes sense. I can't take you somewhere I haven't been. Yeah. So interesting. So if you're protecting yourself, you know, would you, you know, from that sort of thing, would you, like, do you envision, you envision a white light? Do you wear crystals? Do you use oils? I ask. I ask for my ascended master for, for, for guidance, for protection. Mm-hmm. And uh, so prayer and meditation, but meditation where you're drawing down light all the time. And, um, and that's really important because uh, it's really hard. Some people, though, I've got a client who just she's had a difficult life and I feel like there's been some negative magic in her family somewhere and uh, she feels like she'll meditate she'll do all the right things but she just doesn't seem to be able to reach the light just it's almost like someone's blocked it above her you know and uh, it's a really scary thing it's, it's a cruel thing to do to somebody because to cut them off from it's like cutting someone off from water or food you know cutting them off from their source of, of light um, when they pass away they'll have that source and they'll be able to go back again but during their lifetime it means it's a life where you're starving a little bit you know and um, and I've sent her to different people. I've found a couple of people that uh, one's passed away, one's retired. So I've got no one at the moment I can, I can pass people on to do this that, that actually can do that, can, can, can take the energy channel above your uh, crown of your head and trace it up and clear it out, make sure that you've got that, uh, that um, connection to light. And when you get it, it's almost like when your eyes are closed and you're meditating, someone's lit five extra candles in the sometimes I've even opened my eyes and looked around to think what's going on here the light just because it's coming straight down through the top of your head and you feel radiant you know um yeah so that's one way um I think you've got to test it for yourself people different things work for different people see I don't like the idea of 
amulets or crystals because if you don't have them, you don't have them. I want something that I can have with me. So if I'm in a room by myself, I'm traveling, I'm, you know, I've got these, uh, I've got this, you know? Yeah, I love that too. And I mean, I think that it's really important that you, you know, aren't relying on those sort of outside things that, like you said, if they're not there, do you um, feel that the Lord's prayer is a powerful form of protection? Do you say that yourself? Yeah, if Jesus is your ascended master, then that's what you got to do. I've got uh, um, a friend that was raised as a Christian, but she's uh, she had a couple of cancer scares uh, over the years and she's really found Buddhism and it works for her. So I'm thinking it's quite possible, I haven't checked with her, but it's quite possible that he's her ascended master, in which case you find, you've got to find that one. And you'll know it because their works, their, their uh, teachings will resonate with you stronger than the others, you know? And, um, and that's, that's what you'd be asking for. You'd be asking for them to protect you because that's a, that's a, light, that's a light source that's stronger than your own, mm, you know? Okay. Um, um, and obviously one of the things I've had to learn to do uh, as I've, uh, over the years is to, learn not to be too curious about other people. So I'm seeing two people at a table in a, at a cafe, the next table, they're having an argument in hushed tones. Uh, part of you thinks, I wonder what that's all about, you know? And intuitively, it's possible to, to step in and have a look. It's none of my business, you know? I'm trespassing. As soon as I do that, I'm trespassing, which means others will trespass with me. Now, this guy in London, the, uh, the place I worked at, his wife, she was always a trespasser, you know? So I was single. So every now and again, a girl would turn up at the top of the stairs. We're on the first floor. And um, she's up at the top of the stairs. And instead of saying, hello, um, uh, can I help you? She'd say, Paul, someone for you, you know? And she just know. She just knows straight away. This is, this is someone who's looking for Paul. He's met her somewhere. He's given her this address. And she's come to, come to say hello. And, uh, and then she'd, she'd put uh, a number of fingers up to her, uh, her face as I walked out of the room, you know, which would be, mean three, like three fingers is three weeks. It'll last three weeks, you know, and that's sort of thing. And I would say, but it's none of your business. And she just smiled, smirked to herself. But it wasn't. She was, she was so attuned to the new person coming in that you couldn't keep any secrets from her, you know? And I thought, this is, you know, this is not, it's not professional practice, mm -hmm. you know? And she was just having fun with it. I thought, no, it's not nice, you know, that people turn up and you, you're straight away, you're linking in it and reading them and that sort of thing, you know? It really is trespassing. Yeah, no, I fully agree with that. Yeah, because it, how long is it before you're starting to say, well, um, um, where is my partner tonight? I've got to check on them. Or where is uh, my friend? Why, why haven't they called me back? And you're, you're, you're snooping into their life, you know? Um, you start doing that and people start doing it to you. Mm -hmm. I know we're um, yeah. just coming up on the hour already. I mean, that flew by. I did want to ask you before we sort of wrap up, though, um, just in terms of I know we've covered off the cleansing, we've covered off the protection. I do feel like grounding is really quite an important thing as well to mention if you had a little bit of time to speak on that. Okay, absolutely. I, I think walking, getting your feet on the ground. Um, um, sometimes when we run courses, I've got a 17 acre park outside, I have an office at home, and out the back is this park. And um, I got, I've got a gate that goes into the park. Sometimes students go and they have a picnic on the park. They come back, they come back grounded. They come back refreshed. They come back centered. It's good. Um, for some people, the ocean will center them, but it's important nature, getting back and getting yourself connected to nature, getting yourself out of your head on, on the ground. Because if you don't, um, there's a risk with this sort of thing that you're meditating and the information you're getting is so high that you're, um, well, Christine used to say to me, she would say, um, that's why a lot of female clairvoyants are overweight is because they're not grounded and life has to weigh them down to keep them on the ground, you know? And she said, the ones that are grounded, they don't need the extra weight. And she was big. She was a really big one. And when I uh, saw her on the screen earlier this year, she's lost a lot of weight. She's just absolutely, I'm thinking, whoa, 
because she gave up everything. She she would meditate sometimes six hours a day, and um, and uh, there were occasional nights there where they kept her in meditation for the eight hours through the night, you know. And then uh, they, they wouldn't let her go. She, you, uh, they'd remind her, "You said you wanted us to teach you. We're teaching you," you know. Whoa, uh, because she made a deal with them. She was um, in hospital having an operation and she died on the table and she had two children under 12. And so she went to, went to the other side and she said, please, they don't have a dad. I've got to look after them. Can I come back? And they said, on one condition, that you that you learn with us and you work for us, you know, you know? and wow. you, uh, you basically work and teach you what, what we know. And uh, and that was her agreement. And that and so the time that I knew her back in 1991, it was hard. She's never worked since then. She's, uh, you know, her whole life has been meditation and development. But, uh, and I hadn't really seen her. We talked on the phone, but I, I saw her on screen uh, a few months ago and I just looked at her and thought, wow, this is this woman's made it. She, she, she's now a master, you know. And I thought, wow, that's incredible that just that I knew her back then and you can see the difference, just the presence in her, in her eye, the focus and the, just unbelievable. Yeah. And so I'm trying to get some time to spend more time with her so I can write another book because the stuff that she's teaching me, I can't find anywhere else, you know, um, um, just, yeah. yeah. When you talk about, you know, her coming back um, and making that deal, do you believe that we have free will or do you think that this is that our lives before we came here were predetermined and we're on a soul journey that we can't change? Well, I think that there's a few things in that. Firstly, there are three uh, approaches to fate and free will. So some people say life is completely fated and they have to be patient. They wait for their opportunities and that works for them. Some say that you've got free will with everything and they push really hard and make some mistakes, but uh, they often get uh, some success there with that too. And then there's a third group that says uh, uh, we have free will, but with every decision we make, we limit or open up new opportunities and restrict other opportunities. You know, And so it's like if I'm driving from one town to another that's 8, 10, 12 hours away, if I take a small wrong turn, I can get back to my uh, original path very quickly. If I take a, a small wrong turn and I don't correct myself for five or t uh, uh, ten hours, then I'm a long way away from where I was going to be. So in other words, every decision you make shapes what's coming up. And that's why sometimes you have a reading with someone and events don't turn out. It's not that they weren't accurate. They were looking at a most likely future on that day when you sat with them and you took an unexpected decision and all that future fell away and life went in another direction. You know? mm -hmm. So I think we do come in with things to learn. I think we have some free will, but often our free will restricts us. And that's why I always ask the question, what do I most need to know right now? If I'm about to make a big decision and I can't see something that they can see because they've got a better uh, pers uh, perspective than I have, then I want to be told. You know? Now, um, she had a hard life, Christine. So if it wasn't for the children, she wouldn't be asking to come back. I know she would have just said, thank you, I'm here. You know, mm -hmm. and um, and she must have done enough work to be able to have that choice to come back, um, because average people wouldn't. Average people wouldn't. Uh, they get over to the other side, and it's just they recreate life here, and, and, and they keep it very much the same. You know, um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I guess according to those three approaches to fate or free will, you'll find out which one is yours, you know? Like, I like to think I'm fatalistic and then I get frustrated, this is gonna take too long. So I just get off and make a decision, you know? And so <laughs> I think I'm in the extreme, but, you know, like your real nature is when you're in a corner, then you see what you really like, you know, back of this, they're not looking, they're not helping me, I'm gonna do this. And mm -hmm. they're saying, we were helping you, you just, they, the thing you wanted wasn't ready, you know? And then you feel a fall again, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's so funny because, you know, we have these tendencies as humans to want everything in our time, not in divine timing. 
Yeah. And also, sometimes uh, I remember that saying, when the gods want to punish us, they answer our prayers. Sometimes we ask for things that really won't do us any good, you know. And uh, so now, even little things, if I'm asking for a car park, you know, I want a safe, comfortable, legal park park uh, when I arrive, if it's right for me, it's right for me spiritually, because if it's not, I don't want it. And, mm. and the car park's a great example, because when I lived in a, uh, closer to Sydney, I lived in Kingston, and I used to park on the, on the uh, street because uh, I shared a house with a couple. Uh, he, uh, the guy in the couple had a, a newer car than me. He used the garage where we had a house, and I used the street. And it was near the Sydney University, so uh, New South Wales University, so there's lots of traffic, always parked out, that sort of thing. And one day I came home, uh, Friday night, came home. He was parked in my spot. And I thought, well, I'll park up the street. So I parked up the street and because it was like 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night. And I wonder why uh, I asked for my normal space and I didn't get it, you know, but it wasn't safe. The next morning there was a car accident on the corner there. One car reared off and hit straight into his car. His, his car was insured. He said, why did they hit my car? I said, I don't know, but I know why they didn't hit mine. Because I asked for a safe, comfortable, legal park, you know. And, um, and so the one time out of four years or so that he parked his car on the street, it was damaged. At least his car was insured. Mine wasn't. Mine was an old banger, you know, and it would just would have been a complete write-off. It would be under, still under tarpaulin 20 years later, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just one of those things. So if it's right for me spiritually, is important because, yeah. So when, when clients ask me, um, how can I get to this new relationship faster? I don't want to wait for this. I, I turn it back to them and I say, listen, you need to ask, what do you need to do to make yourself ready for love? You know, because sometimes people think I want it. The wanting is the easy part. And making yourself ready and vulnerable and, and having released all the stuff from the past, that's that's the shovel work. That's the hard work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people don't want to face that, but you have to go through it to move you have to go through it to move through it. <laughs> Why do you think we're here on earth, Paul? I think we're refining things. I just think we're we've we're we're having a physical experience. Time, gravity. Um, temperature, all those things. They're hard things to get used to because I see it with people where they're, where I've gone back sometimes in, in pure clairvoyance readings to see them just before they're born. They, they're clear about their purpose. I'm here to do this. This family's going to help me with that. It's going to be great. Then they get here and they forget and having to learn to walk, having to learn to balance, having to learn to feed themselves. It's hard. And then uh, I'm tired and sleep well, all those sorts of things. So life is full of distractions from the purpose. And that's what the meditation's for, to get the mind out of the way so you can just settle and let your soul speak to you let you find that purpose a little bit more clearly you know mm-hmm. and and in pure clairvoyance readings i usually go forward to the uh, an hour after the person's dead and i always ask the spirit tell me what you came to learn now tell me if you learned it and they're really simple things faith hope trust courage and they'll tell me if they learned it or not you know and they're simple things but they're not simple things to learn they're just simple words to say, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and then they'll they'll tell me about how hard it was or how it was interrupted so many times and how they had to relearn it again, you know, and that sort of thing. How they made wrong choices and and the person made it harder for them to learn this and, and things like that, you know. But nine times out of ten, I'll say yes, I did, I did learn it. You know, I had a lady recently, and uh, when I asked her, she said, "Well, I, I learned it in some ways." I thought, "All right, oh, that's good, that's good." But everybody wants to go to the party, and no one wants to do the dishes, you know, no one wants to clean up. No. Yeah. yeah yeah i don't want to clean up i just want to go to the party too <laughs> that's right yeah that's how we farm the cleaning up so can we get a cleaner 
Uh, you know, can't we have <laughs> someone else fix up our? And uh, I just think that would be a really good thing, you know, because um, I was thinking about the uh, afterlife insurance agency, which is really churches in some ways. You know, we'll give you uh, some a couple of acres of heavenly vistas if you do this and this and this. You know, and um, the, the concept of somebody else taking on your karma and clearing it out for you. That could be tempting, couldn't it? You know, we'd all sponsor somebody for that. Mm. You, uh, um, I'm engaging you for four years to go and endure all the suffering that I've uh, created so that I don't have the karma for that. Thank you very much. <laughs> Just sign here and here, you know. Yeah, that's so funny. I mean, I guess it comes down to, yeah, you just doing the work. Do you think, Paul, and I know we're out of time here, uh, but do you think the life is meant to be joyous? Like we're not meant to be suffering. So how can we approach things in a lighthearted way that makes us feel empowered and not afraid of it, but more as it, seeing it as an opportunity instead of a burden? That's a different book. And that book is called <laughs> The Spiritual Nourishment. I, I'm writing that at the moment. I started years ago. I, it was a bizarre thing. I was in the bath coming up with, I, I wanted a book title that could be put in four places in, in a bookshop. You know, because the more places you run in a bookshop, the more likely people find the book. Oh, so I come up with the Eat All You Can. Get, uh, the, the book title was Eat All You Can, Get Rich Quick, Three-Day Real Estate Diet. It's everywhere. It could be everywhere in the bookstore, you know. So, and then the next one I came up with was the Spiritual Nourishment Diet. And the more I thought about it, the more it occurred to me. It's the only diet where you're not asked to give up any food or take up any food. All you're asked to do is nourish yourself physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. So what I did was I came up with a list, six things. You've got to find six things that you find that nourish you physically. Could be exercise, could be yoga, could be gardening, could be anything. Six things that nourish you emotionally, six that nourish you mentally, and six that nourish you spiritually. And if you do one thing from each of those lists every day for the rest of your life, you'll be nourished. You will be happy. Spiritual nourishment is happiness. And it's not that grinning happiness. It's that calm, relaxed, trusting happiness, you know? And... Um, and every now and again, I remember it. I can't. I drag out my list, and I had forty-five people do this. Uh, it was a forty-two-page book. They did it for forty-two days, and it was a diary. They kept the diary, and and asked them to send their diaries back at the end of this t uh, test just to see how it went. My favourite was a lady had written this beautiful list of yoga, meditation, chanting, all these things, you know, and a big line through the whole lot, and uh, said PTO, uh, and the book, the pages were only printed on one side. On the back of that page, it said, I've got three children under five. I haven't got time for all this rubbish. This is my real list. If I can get the three kids into a pram and go for a walk around the block, that's that's a victorious day. We, we've hit the jackpot, you know, and uh, and that's good, you know. So so she had the perfect thing. That's when the kids are growing up and moved out. In the meantime, this is what works for me today, you know. And so I love that that, that because it's, it's, it's not aiming for the ideal. It's dealing with the reality, you know. Yeah. And spiritual nourishment can be you know, um, yeah, for me, a cappella voice, just just a, a vo single, uh, three or four single voices together without any instruments, that, that's just incredible, you know. It's just, it resonates straight away with me. Auditory types would love that sort of thing, you know. So I would advise you, take uh, take a pen and pad, make that list, find those things. And if anything, anything on your list doesn't work, throw it off, add something else, you know. And in this book that I've been writing, I'm trying not to put a list down because people get lazy. I'll show what, I'm, what worked for other people, but you've got to make your own list. What nourishes you is not what nourishes me, you know? Yeah. And so that's the thing. I think, yes, we're here to be happy and we find a hundred ways to make ourselves unhappy, you know? And, and, and yeah, yeah. And I do that myself, you know? Um, uh, I call it, um, 
uh, a trophy for worst case scenarios, you know, the the uh, king of worst case scenarios. You know, so it's a, it's a small cut. Now this is going to be septic. Uh, it's going to be sepsis in, in an hour or two. It's going to be it's probably a snake bite. You know, and you just you start making it worse than it is. You know, um, and that's where the meditation, those other things, just reset you. Every day you get reset. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I've actually, while we've been talking, I've had your book open. Um, to a quote. And I think it's really apropos that we end on that. So I'll just read it. It's actually just at the beginning of the book, but it says when you're spiritually fulfilled, the traffic delays are acceptable. Not being promoted at work is less significant and the need for expensive distractions to compensate for inner hunger aren't required as you are already happy. That's about it. Yeah. It's good. Hey, yeah. Yeah. Paul, thank you so much for being on the show. I mean, wow. I just can't believe how fast that went. Um, I would love to know if there's anything that I didn't ask you that you wanted to bring up uh, for our listener at home. Spoiler alert. Paul's going to be back on the show at some point in the near future. Um, and uh, but we're going to be talking about a different subject on that show. So, Paul, I would love to give you the platform to talk about your services, how people can get in touch with you, where they can find your books, anything else that you feel called to talk about. Okay, so if they want to get in touch with me, it's just my website is my name, paulfentonsmith.com. And um, uh, I've got some videos on YouTube if you want to see uh, public talks and things I've done just uh, on tarot, palmistry, uh, psychic development. Um, but ultimately, uh, it comes down to it. Whatever you're reading, whatever you're studying, whatever you're learning, try it out. If it works for you, that's good. If it doesn't work for you, find out how you can perfect that, uh, the strategies without making cutting corners. Find out how you can make things work that's, uh, so that, that the techniques serve you going forward. Because this is uh, intuitive development. Is well, essentially, psychic development is is nourishing the psyche or soul for its journey through life and beyond. Mm. Yeah. And I think you so eloquently talk about that too, at the beginning of this intuition book about your own, your own journey with that. And I just loved how you, how you said that. So thank you so much. And for our listener at home, I'll put a link to uh, all Paul's stuff as well in the show notes. So you've got easy access. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Lauren. Hi, thanks so much for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave us a review where you listen to your podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you. New episodes every Thursday.